The reading is from 1 Samuel, uh, the sixth chapter, verses one to 12. Uh, it's an obscure story that we don't hear very much. Remember last week, the Philistines stole the ark and the Ark of the Covenant where God lived was really something to lose. And they were really upset. But in the sixth chapter here, we learn how God managed to get it back for them. The Ark of the Lord remained in Philistine territory seven months in all. Then the Philistines called in their priests and diviners and asked them, what should we do about the Ark of the Lord? Tell us how to return it to his own country. Send the ark of the God of Israel back with a gift, they were told. Send a gift of guilt offering so that the plague will stop. Then if you are healed, you will know it was his hand that caused the plague. What sort of guilt offering should we send, they asked. And they were told, since the plague has struck both you and your five rulers, make five gold tumors and five gold rats just like those that have ravaged your land. They had been plagued with rats and boils. Make these things to show honor to the God of Israel. Perhaps then he will stop afflicting you, your gods and your land. Don't be stubborn and rebellious as Pharaoh and the Egyptians were. By the time God was finished with them, they were eager to let Israel go. Now build a new cart and find two cows that have just given birth to calves Make sure the cows have never been yoked to a cart. Hitch the cows to the cart, but shut their, their calves away from them in a pen. Put the Ark of the Lord on the cart, and beside it, place a chest containing the gold rats and the gold tumors you are sending as a guilt offering. Then let the cows go wherever they want. If they cross the border of our land and go to Beth Shemesh in Israel, we will know it was the Lord who brought this great disaster upon us. If they don't, we will know it was not his hand that caused the plagues. It came simply by chance. So these instructions were carried out. Two cows were hitched to the cart, and their newborn calves were shut up in a pen. Then the ark of the Lord and the chest containing the gold rats and gold tumors were placed on the cart. And sure enough, without veering in other directions, like back to their calves, the, low, the cows went straight along the road to Beth Shemesh across the border in Israel, lowing as they went, ready to be milked. The Philistine rulers followed them far as the border of Beth Shemesh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's great to be church with people who love our scriptures as Darlene does, even the more obscure text like this from 1 Samuel chapter 6 as we prepare for the sermon this morning. Let's pray. Loving God, thank you for the gift of your word. May it speak to our hearts. Pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So Catherine Willis Pershey writes of a powerful encounter she had with guilt. It happened back when Pershey was in the first grade. She doesn't remember the exact moment when she stole a bright yellow plastic wallet that belonged to her elementary school classmate, Edward. She recalls wanting it and at least wondering what it would be like to take something that wasn't hers. And she does remember 
when the teacher queried the whole class as to whether anyone had seen Edward's lost wallet. She remembers her heart beating really quickly, her cheeks getting flush, but she said nothing. And that feeling she knew that day as a first grader of the hot cheeks and the fast heartbeat, that eventually subsided, but in its place came what she called a chronic nagging in her soul. There would be weeks, even months, where she wouldn't think about it, and then it would wake her up in the night, tormenting her. She would remember, oh yeah, I did that, I did that. Well, two years later, as a third grader, ten minutes after her mom had tucked her into bed, she went back to her mom sobbing, and through hiccuped tears streaming down her face, she said, "I, I stole Edward's wallet. After her mom figured out what she meant, that in fact she was referring to a crime committed two years ago, her mom wisely decided not to judge her daughter or punish her even further. She'd clearly experienced enough punishment already. But her mom did have this suggestion to Percy as to how she could respond. Her mom recommended that she write a note, she could even make it anonymous if she wanted, and send back to Edward a dollar that she could take that act. Percy didn't have the wallet anymore, she'd long ago lost it, but she did that. She sent the note and the dollar back. And while it didn't solve the problem completely, I suspect that it made Edward feel a little more valued and acknowledged that this crime from years ago was finally known. He knew what happened, where it kind of humanized him in a way. And I know, as Percy writes, it meant a great deal for her own conscience. It alleviated just a bit of the guilt she felt, allowing her to participate in that ritual, in that guilt offering, if you will. Guilt can be hard, can't it, when it goes unaddressed It can eat at us. It can wake us up in the night. It can challenge us time and again. I still remember from high school, a time when I had recently gotten my license and was driving at University Town Center. I had parked and opened the door and just scratched a hairline scratch on the beige gold Oldsmobile that was parked right next to me. And then I saw as an older couple was coming towards that car, and when I saw them open the doors, I told them what I had done and pointed out this small hairline scratch on their car. And I even gave them my address in case they wanted to follow up. I figured they wouldn't, but they did. They brought the car to a body shop to get it estimated, and they sent me that estimate of about $300. And to this day, I wish I had sent a check-in for $300. It would have been so worth it. It would have been so worth the cost since then to my soul of thinking about it, of knowing I'd planned to send the check, though I thought it was a little high. I'd planned to send it, but never got around to actually doing it. There's something powerful to a guilt offering that takes a step towards reparation, a step towards healing, a step of trying to address some way that a relationship with another has been broken, especially when theft 
or some other sin like that is involved. Hershey writes of how the guilt she felt as a first-grade pickpocket was a kind of allergy to sinning. And she noted that it was a gift in a way. It convicted her, called her to confess and make restitution. She notes that not all the guilt she or others experience is a gift or is even helpful. You all surely know the kind of guilt that is simply condemnation, that simply makes us feel bad about ourselves or think, makes us think we are worthless or only as good as the worst thing we've ever done. That is not a helpful kind of guilt or a gift of guilt. But Percy writes instead, the guilt that convicts, that prods us to action, that doesn't leave us debilitated in self-condemnation, but directs us to take right action to address wrongs, that kind of guilt can be a gift. Well, back in the book of Leviticus, we read of situations where God's people would receive that gift of guilt. And we also read of how there were particular rituals that they could participate in that would be means of addressing in a meaningful way wrongs done. They would help to alleviate the guilt and invite people to make some form of restitution. In Leviticus 6, we read of something called an asham or a guilt offering. A word, that word in Hebrew, asham, is also the one that shows up in today's passage from 1 Samuel. It was a means of addressing guilt. Here's what to do, Leviticus says. First of all, if you've stolen money, for example, pay back what is owed, but pay it back with an additional 20%. Because there's been some harm done, you want to correct things. And so, in fact, Percy should have sent back a dollar and 20 cents to Edward after stealing his wallet. I should have sent to this couple with the Oldsmobile $360. Then after you've made financial restitution, according to Leviticus 6, with your neighbor, then comes the guilt offering. Because when we have broken one of the commandments, there's a sense to which things are not right between us and God. And so we want to address that relationship as well. So we read in Leviticus 6, go to the tabernacle for worship. Bring with you a prized ram from your flock. That that will be a form of confession and self-offering, presenting something to God as connected to you as a prized ram. And there at the tabernacle or temple, as the priest presents your sacrifice on the altar, you can recall, have the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. God's mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. Two-step process. Make financial restitution plus 20% when you have stolen something. Secondly, go to the tabernacle and make an act of self-offering and worship to address your relationship with God. How wise and liberating, while it didn't correct everything, how wise and liberating to have a path presented in Leviticus for the healing of relationships broken by sin, relationship with neighbor, relationship with God. Well, then in today's passage from 1 Samuel 6, we read of another guilt offering or asham. And this asham addressed the guilt not just of one person, but a whole people, the people of ancient Philistine. The Philistines, we read in chapter 4, had made war against ancient Israel, and some 30,000 were slaughtered. 
The Philistines had also captured the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark was believed by the people of ancient Israel to be an emblem of the very enthroned presence of the living God. The Ark was stolen by the Philistines, but if the Philistines thought that by capturing the Ark they somehow had defeated Israel's God, they were soon to be disavowed of that belief. They brought the ark to the Philistine city of Ashdod, and the citizens of Ashdod were then struck with terrible tumors. Now, you might note some translations will render it not tumor, but hemorrhoids, even a more graphic depiction of what the guilt of the Philistines looked like and felt like. These tumors would spread throughout the people of Ashdod. And so, they brought the ark away from Ashdod to another Philistine city of Gath, but there the people of Gath also were afflicted by these tumors. It's a colorful, memorable portrait of a people whose guilt is like a tumor, a physical affliction that if unaddressed will fester and can even spread, doing yet more damage to a body or to a people. And so we read in 1 Samuel of an asham, a ritual designed to address that guilt and foster reconciliation between the Philistines and their neighbors to the north, between the Philistines and the God of their neighbors to the north. The God we read is also the God of all people, the God of heaven and earth. The Philistines are advised by their priests to present an offering on a cart of five golden tumors and five golden mice or rats. These symbolized, of course, the very issue that was plaguing them, this disease, these tumors and rats, perhaps indicating how it was so prone to spread. Gold indicated a form of financial restitution, and the number five symbolizing the five different lords and cities of ancient Philistine. And this offering was to be placed on a cart pulled by prized milk cows. That harkens back to the Leviticus guilt offering, where an animal, a prized animal from your flock or herd would be presented to God as a kind of self-offering, a confession, and of worship. Well, as they prepare this guilt offering, the Philistines thought, let's have one final test just to be sure it is really God who has inflicted these tumors on us, the God worshipped by the people of ancient Israel. They had this, these cows and the cart heading toward Beth Shemesh. That was the first city in ancient Israel that the cart would encounter after crossing the border between the land of ancient Philistine and the land of ancient Israel. Now, if the cart proceeded at these cows' direction straight to Beth Shemesh, the Philistines would have to conclude it was God who had wrought this disease, these tumors upon them. If instead that cart veered to the left or to the right, then maybe it wasn't. Well, you can guess what happened. Those cows went straight to the land of Israel, removing any doubt from the mind of the Philistines as to who it was that had been responsible for these tumors. And they knew they were indeed guilty for what they had done, and this was an appropriate offering in response. Well, as those cows in cart arrived in Beth Shemesh, there was rejoicing, there was celebration. God was worshipped. Now, if you read on in 1 Samuel, you will note that there was also great sorrow and grieving too. For as that 
offering was entering the land of ancient Israel, people recalled all those lives lost. And as we all know, five golden tumors, five golden mice can't undo that kind of loss, can't even come close. But it represented one step, one small step towards healing, restitution, reconciliation. And maybe it even offered hope for a different relationship between the ancient Philistines and the people of ancient Israel. It's a fascinating story from 1 Samuel, this Asham. And I love how it paints sin and guilt like a contagious disease that spreads until or unless it's addressed. Guilt is like that, isn't it? It festers like a boil unless we address it. Martin Luther King Jr. famously imagined the sin of racial and economic injustice that way as a kind of sickness or boil, something that needed to be addressed to brought out into the open, and if it wasn't, it would just fester. King was writing from a Birmingham jail, and he was addressing a particular criticism leveled against him that his direct action campaigns like bus boycotts were creating tension. King argued back in his letter, no. No, they're not creating tension. They're bringing out a tension that already existed. That's why we did the bus boycott and do direct actions like that. He wrote, like a boil that can never be cured as long as it's covered up but must be opened with all its pus-flowing ugliness to the natural medicines of air and light, injustice must likewise be exposed with all of the tension it's exposing creates to the light of human conscience and the air of national opinion before it can be cured. Guilt offerings, as we read about them in Leviticus 6 and in 1 Samuel 6, they were designed to expose sin, to acknowledge it openly and to address it, lest it fester or spread. They were like a prescription a doctor might offer to a patient of a medicine, an exercise that will lead to that patient's health. Sin, as it's portrayed in the Bible, harms relationships between us and our neighbors, us and the earth, us and God, the gift of guilt, the kind that convicts, the gift of a guilty conscience. It can lead us, if we dare, to repentance, healing, worship, and new life. Carrie Day served on the task force of Princeton Theological Seminary when they conducted an historic audit from 2016 to 2018 as to how the seminary, founded back in 1812, had benefited from the slave economy. The audit also explored what actions or restitution, repair, might God be calling the historic Presbyterian Seminary to undertake as a means of presenting a kind of guilt offering, if you will, a modern guilt offering to those harmed. Carrie Day noted that the fear of bringing an institution's past guilt to the surface kept many from the conversation. It's not easy to bring sin and guilt out into the open, but for those who did engage, there were moments she noted of remarkable intimacy with stories of pain shared and heard. You could get glimpses of the bonds of community, reconciled community, slowly, painfully, beautifully emerging. 
Well, as Christians today, reading these stories of guilt offerings in the Hebrew Scriptures, we recall, of course, the greatest guilt offering in all of the Bible. We recall how New Testament texts like Hebrews present Jesus as the great high priest who offered that perfect asham, or guilt offering, himself. Just as the priest in Leviticus would present a prized and unblemished ram before God as an offering of atonement for a person's sins, just as the Philistines in today's text present an offering of gold tumors and mice pulled by unblemished milk cows as an offering for restitution, so Jesus offers a sacrifice of atonement to reconcile what was broken. As the author of 1 John puts it, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours alone, but also for the sins of the world. Christ offered himself, Christ's faithfulness shown in prophetic witness, in healing, in radical hospitality, in feeding the hungry, in proclaiming the good news of God's love and the bad news of human sin. This brought him to the cross, and there we read he was put to death, and God raised him again to new life. By joining with him in faith, his life, Christ's life becomes ours. We are joined to him. And by joining with him in faith, his life is wed to ours. His offering becomes ours. We're brought by him and with him into the rich reconciliation God wrought between God and humanity, between human beings and their neighbors, between human beings and all creation, that atonement, that at one moment was brought about through Christ, and in faith that reconciliation becomes ours. So what do we do with our guilt today as Christians? What do we do with it? We bring it to Christ, who is the great high priest. He offers the perfect asham to God on our behalf, and through him we know God's forgiveness from the guilt that has so plagued our souls. And following that Savior, receiving the gift of forgiveness he brings, we then engage in practices of restitution and renewal. Following our Savior's example, moved by his love for us, we then make guilt offerings, the kind we see in Scripture that reflect a life of repentance, a life caught up in the love and reconciling work of Christ. We do what Percy did as an adult Christian, and when she and her six-year-old daughter had just bought a whole bunch of Christmas items, had put them on the conveyor belt, and had gone out into the parking lot, Percy realized her daughter still held in her hand a little ornament that they had neglected to pay for. So Percy and her six-year-old daughter went right back, and they paid the dollar and seven cents that that ornament cost because Percy had had that come-to-Jesus moment way back when and wanted to embody something different. We do what Carrie Day and others sought to do at Princeton in addressing more complex corporate forms of guilt like those related to slavery and seek to practice a new way and do what we can to undo wrongs of the past. We pursue individually and communally liberating practices of repentance and of new life. 
We do it not be, be, we, because we believe those actions will in themselves reconcile us to God and to our neighbor, for God has already done that work of reconciliation in Christ. The reconciliation is ours by His atoning sacrifice, His life given on our behalf. We engage in the work of repentance, healing, restoration, and repair precisely because of what God has done. It's a way of living out who we are, who God has made us to be, a people who might be guilty of sin, yes, but a people who have been forgiven and renewed, in whom the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is in us, people for whom Christ died and rose again. By His work, we get to be vessels of reconciliation in the world. So, friends, are you plagued with a guilty conscience today? Does some small crime, maybe going back to first grade or third grade or your high school years, still haunt you? Are there more recent crimes or misdeeds, sins of omission, things you failed to do and wished you had that haunt you in the night? Or are you most troubled instead by larger, complex social sins, corporate sins, sins of injustice for which you feel complicit and long for reconciliation and healing? Hear the good news again, you who find your consciences hit with that gift of guilt. In Jesus Christ, we are, you are, forgiven. In Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. You are made one with Christ, reconciled to your neighbor, to God, to all of creation. Hear and believe this good news. Meditate on it. And holding that good news in your heart, knowing you are forgiven and freed, go forth and be a living guilt offering to the world. Be part of God's work of of reconciliation, of repair and healing. Be a vessel of God's love. And know that your Savior goes with you every step of the way. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, amen.